0: The paper is entitled The Design Thinking Approaches of Three Different Groups of Designers Based on Self-Reports um, but I guess the motivation behind this was really the, the amount of uh, published literature um, soundbites, magazine articles on this thing that <coughs> we now know as uh, been phrased as design thinking um, and, and also how designers think and work and there's been a lot, as we we would all kind of agree, that there's been a lot written about design thinking um, from the perspectives of management, nursing, healthcare, computer science, perhaps um, even some design research as well. Um, and this thing, design thinking, it, it's claimed that designers um, regularly redefine, reframe. Optimistic thinking, they sketch, they draw, they analyse, they synthesise, they use different modes of thinking, um, divergent, convergent, adaptive, um, throughout the design process. Um, And Gabby and I really kind of set ourselves the challenge of of, um, exploring whether design thinking is something that's kind of common structure, common approach um, across different design domains. Um, so we, we set up an experiment, if you like, experiment's not a nice word um, for me, um, but we, we managed to assemble three groups of design uh, students across three different areas, uh, industrial design, architecture, um, and a group of design PhD students, um, and we've done that really to compare and contrast their, their thinking styles. Um, So the presentation today, um, will cover things like a working definition of the term design thinking um, for the limitations of the paper, really only. Um, We then constructed what we're calling nine design process activities or tasks, so fairly kind of similar um, terms used in conventional um, and kind of commonly agreed. Uh, design process models, um, but also somewhat different. Um, as I said, there's three different groups of designers, um, IDE, architecture, and design PhD students. Um, there's 12 responses to the brief, so f- those three groups, uh, four individuals within each group, um, and then we'll look at some results and fin- finish off in the best possible style with some but also some questions really for the work. So the, the design thinking definition, I mean I think I guess we could have got it from many places, from Tim Brown, from Roger Martin. Um, but we've actually picked it from, from Nigel Cross's book, which is sitting out there. Um, I don't think there's anything wildly provocative or uh, unique in, in Nigel's definition here. Again, designers taking this broad systems approach to the problem, um, rather than accepting narrow problem criteria. uh, The designers frame the problem in sometimes uh, distinctive and interesting ways, sometimes very personal ways, um, and they design from uh, first principles. So the nine the nine activities or the nine (coughs) stages um, that I used uh, to, to analyse the kind of working processes of these groups. Some of them are, are, are fairly obvious and common, um, or certainly commonly accepted as, as being part of a design process, things like studying the reef, um, things like preparing final presentations. Um. Others perhaps are a little bit less um, concrete, um, and some of them may, may you know, in, in, in some ways actually be part of the same thing. So looking at looking at examples and consulting with others may well be a subset of collectible information. Which may be a subset of research, for example. Um, but we've we've used these really as a as a framework um, to analyse the activities um, of the students. Um, I looked at this the other day and reminded myself and <clears throat> we have an incredibly wide in diverse demographic here. (laughs) We have 11 males and one female. So if we look at the industrial design students, they're all male, they're all 21, and they're all in the third year or the fourth year undergraduate degree program. The architecture students, wildly different, they're all male, they're all 23, apart from one who's a little bit older, and they're all in the final year of their their first degree. It gets a little bit more interesting when we look at the design PhD students, um, particularly in relation to their their backgrounds, their their first degree and and their master's degree. So they all have already two degrees. They're all, what you could say, um, fairly experienced designers, I guess. So we have a female. um, They're all in the first year of their PhD. Conventionally, a three-year PhD here. Um, so the first individual has a background in fashion design <coughs> uh, both at BA and MA level um, second uh, has a degree in industrial design and a masters degree in industrial design similarly um, person 3 and again similarly person 4 has this kind of product or industrial design and background um, in this case though a, with a, a masters degree in what he's calling conceptual design. So the brief is, as we know, we've, we've seen it a few times today. Um, the only thing I want to add about the brief is, the brief was written not by me, um, it was set by an independent, I guess you could call it design researcher, design critic, design uh, writer, someone called Emily Campbell who used to work for the Royal Society for Arts. Um, and I think it was important that there was distance between the brief that was set. Um, it wasn't some it wasn't motivated by me. It was motivated by a third party, so completely objective. It was it was purposely vague. It was purposely open-ended. And again, we've had some comments earlier about this brief. You could do anything. That was kind of the point um, at the start of the you know soliciting for papers for for this uh, conference we were looking for papers and responses from a whole host of people. So it, it had to be, you know, necessarily open and vague and that many people could, could respond to it. And that's been good. I think we've got a good mix of people. Um, if we look at the, the responses, i.e. what what these groups of, of students um, actually presented, um, and there was, a, there was a little bit of... Um, Disparity between between the groups, the the time taken to conduct the, the designing tasks, i.e., starting, finishing, was probably something between one week and two weeks. Um, but what's interesting is there's there's a the high degree of um, products. So the white boxes are uh, solutions that have been presented, and submitted. Um, and interestingly, every architecture student delivered a product solution. Uh, the industrial design students, well, that's kind of obvious that they would deliver um, uh, product solutions, with one exception, which is a, a kind of safety or um, non product, as you'll see in a minute. And the PhD students, um, you know, 50% of them actually designing a service. So again, a dematerialised artefact these are just some quick slides to try and contextualise a little bit better as to what each student um, proposed so ID1 student he looked at a plate um, to make one confident when eating I don't think it was really to make one confident when eating, I think it was more about to make one confident when holding the plate and maybe walking with the plate, so there's a little um, lip um, or grip on the side of the plate um, to kind of raise the confidence of the person. Um, the second one was a bathroom aid that would double as a feature, um, and you can see that you know in quite a shortened um, period. Um, in this case, I think the industrial design students did it over the course of five, or six days. Um, you know, quite a lot of model, modelling, um, and sketching and also kind of trying things out, um, trying to kind of empathise, I guess, with the population that uh, they, they were designing for. <coughs> um, this one is a, a non-product, so it was a system um, for recording recording door knocks, so that you could actually identify who was, who was at the door. So some kind of interesting thinking, I guess, behind this, where you could kind of fill in Mary's got a you know identifiable knock, which is a whole lot different from Brian's. Uh, so you can see that the kind of dots donate time, uh, and the size of the dots um, denote um, probably kind of loudness, I guess. And then some, some perhaps more targeted um, product solutions like um, Breaking the Day. Down into a series of activities and puzzles. Um, and <clears throat> As we said, if you look at the architecture students, I mean, interestingly, every one of the four, 100% of them, decided to, to propose some kind of product. <laughs> so, in that case, a, a stick and pick, a cane, which doubled as a pickup device. Uh, an umbrella that had a handle support, um, a Medi-Safe, a kind of medication dispensing come alarm clock um, proposal, uh, and stay warm thermals, kind of reminds me of a joke by Billy Conley um, that you plug the, these pyjamas into the mains uh, to heat up, it's wonderful. Um, The the Design PhD students, as we've seen, seen, kind of split 50-50 into two. This one is more of a kind of product, um, so coats with inbuilt posture support, perhaps reflecting this particular individual's fashion background. Um, This person looking at a a kind of accreditation scheme, um, so perhaps could argue that you know this individual is looking far more widely at the problem. Um, there's no real product proposal as such. It's more a, a kind of stamp of authority, um, a, a service, I guess, um, for deciding and, and, and kind of I guess authenticating some of these some of the myriad of products that are on the, the marketplace. Um, but that these would then be kind of stamped as uh, relevant for that kind of population. Um, the final two are, are kind of out now: non-product services really. Um, both kind of similar, this one old friend is a buddying scheme, um, so trying to tie up uh, the elderly with orphans. Um, and I guess a Trying to maybe kill two birds with one stone and bring two groups of perhaps socially uh, excluded um, groups of people together, hopefully in a kind of meaningful whole. Um, and this one, I mean, a kind of similar idea, but pushing it a little bit further um, a kind of web based um, post and old, um, where it's not just about kind of um, coupling uh, old people and orphans, um, but it's actually pushing it a little bit further to, to supporting people with DIY or cooking or babysitting and that, that can work two ways and uh, be a much more kind of equal kind of um, system. Um, if we look then at the, the nine these nine activities, I mean some of them are kind of obviously stages of the design process as we as we understand it from studying the brief to delivering and preparing a final presentation. We can see that at those kind of ends of the process, most people, well in fact all people, um, were involved in those activities. They completed those activities. And again, this is based on their self-reports, not that we observed them. These are actually their, the, the designers themselves' recollections of what they've done, and we're kind of hoping, honest honest recollections. But you can see in, in planning, what's kind of interesting, I guess, is the, the, what these are interesting where the, everyone is, is studying the brief, everyone is involved in preparing the final presentation, everyone is involved in thinking about solutions and sketching them, but... When you look at planning the design process, which, if you look at the kind of literal def- dictionary definition of design, then that word planning looms large. And we can see that the architects, of architecture students, don't plan at all, which is interesting. And to be honest, neither do the industrial designers. Um, these are graphs largely kind of generated by Gabby. Um, so I really want to skim over but really <laughs> <laughs> but really the, what, the important thing to look at in these first three I guess are moving from, from bottom left to top right is a kind of linear uh, is a process <coughs> that, that one should go through um, a kind of linear representation of going through those nine those nine stages if you were conducting them in a linear fashion. Now we know design doesn't work like that. Um, What you get is you get a a bit of a sense of the activity of where people are um, and how far they're veering from what you might say is that prescriptive uh, linear linear process. This one gives you an indication of time Um, and again it shows that uh, particularly the industrial design students and the architecture students spent a lot of their time on the final presentation and thinking and uh, thinking about solutions and sketching them. So there's a lot of activity at the end here. And kind of universally quite a lot less activity, time spent in those earlier stages. Um, this th- there's a number of conclusions that I'll go on to in a minute. Um, and this is one that, that is fairly kind of stark. Um, if we look at those nine stages, or those nine tasks within the activities we've laid out as a kind of working process, then the industrial design students and the architecture students, i.e. the undergraduates, this is kind of the stage. They, they go through two, three, or four activities or these stages that we outlined. Um, before they start thinking and sketching. So before the thinking and sketching activity, they've done two or three, in one case four other things. The the graduate students with the exception of one, do this at a kind of significantly later stage. So what else is it that they are doing before they then jump into thinking and sketching? Some of the the contrasts and the comparisons that we were able to draw from what is a fairly limited study, we would admit, is the the time allocation between activities um, that the groups have spent, Um, the planning, I've kind of alluded to that, that the architects didn't do any planning, which is interesting. Um, The kind of notion of textbook processes, so some differences that we see in as we've just shown here, there are some differences, um, some further differences between undergrad and graduate students, um, there's some differences in the design activities and sequences, and I think there's there's pointers then for what we see as design thinking in this notion of the designer as entrepreneur, more entrepreneurial spirited designer. So if you look at the time allocation, there was a significant time, and you've seen that in the bar chart, a um, significant amount of time by all students really spent on preparing and polishing that final presentation. So for the architecture students, you know, it was almost a third of their time was spent on the final presentation, the boards that were, <coughs> that were going to be submitted to me. For industrial design, and even the PhD students, it was a quarter of their time so over those nine stages, those nine <coughs> tasks, 25% was spent in this one task, this one activity, which was preparing the final presentation. Um, the PhD student spent twice the amount of time studying the brief than the undergrads. And that might just show that they're, they're maybe a little bit more experienced. They, they kind of see that that's significantly uh, a significant uh, part of the process, um, they kind of acknowledge sort of the, the importance of that a little bit more than perhaps the more um, novice uh, undergrads. Um, planning, <coughs> well only five participants planned the process at all. Um, as I said, the architecture students didn't plan at all. Um, in terms of the textbook processes, textbook design processes, the ID and the architecture students started the process with a short study of the brief, then most of them engaged in one information solicit- soliciting activity, whereas all the PhD students uh, preferred to first summon information and then plan the process. So, again, there's, there's some fairly interesting work being looked at with ec- the role of the expert and the novice in design. Um, it would appear that the more expert designers tend to kind of plan and strategize a lot more than, than the offices do uh, It's kind of interesting perhaps that the undergraduate students design tangible objects um, whereas the graduate students the PhD students designed mostly services in one system in terms of what we're calling design behavior what we really mean by that the allocation of their time? the sequences of the activities that they were involved in. The the PhD students paid much more attention to the brief. All of them planned the processes versus on the one undergraduate student. Uh, In terms of the activities and sequences, the PhD students engaged in more design activities. So they went through what is an average of 8.25 of 9 of those stages. Whereas the undergrads, the I.D. and the architecture students all went through two thirds of them, so about six. Um, and most students didn't follow a linear process, which perhaps is understandable given the kind of short, compressed timescales that they had on this project. Um, but that may link to other, other things. I mean, perhaps it wasn't just because of the short timescales that they didn't follow a linear process. And we kind of already know that, yeah, students, designers, they tend to move back and forth and they tend to iterate quite a lot, quite heavily between one activity and another. So, Gabby in an earlier paper um, has claimed that there's plenty of evidence that suggests that designers consciously ignore methods that they were taught at university. So that kind of leads to the question of what, what should we teach then? Should we teach methods? I kind of hope so, because I've just written a book on it. Design thinkers are expected to constantly challenge the boundaries of known solutions and venture into uncharted territories. So we kind of mentioned that just before the tea break, that designers have given a brief, and they're expected to go into uncharted territories to go further than the brief that the client asks for. Um, And that's not a new thing. Um, but perhaps that's e- perhaps it's even more clear today that the modern designers expected to demonstrate this more entrepreneurial approach than ever before. And does design education as it exists today, does, does that really address these challenges? Do we really address this aspect of entrepreneurialness, of cutting corners, of pushing boundaries? challenging conventions? I don't know. And if we subscribe to the notion that design thinking is a key to innovation, that it somehow turns the wheel of the economy and makes everything beautiful, um, then how should we educate design thinkers? What methodologies should they learn? What design processes do we want to encourage and encourage? So we we, we all kind of recognise I think understand and have looked at textbook design methods and some of them are up there, but they tend to be very rigid. Um, They foresee a linear process, albeit with some iteration. But do the methods that we teach our students prepare them to handle ill-defined and even wicked problems where innovation is a a goal, the pace is very fast. These, These projects were or between seven and fourteen days long, so very fast. You could say unrealistic, perhaps. Perhaps not. But do we do they do we teach them adequately to take risks? Do these short-term, rapid time scales encourage that? Do we do we ask them to go to extremes? Do we give them projects that perhaps last for an hour or a day? And do we ask them, do we challenge them enough to explore entirely new directions of thought as is often required today? So it seems that we should encourage our students to devote more time and effort to exploring things um, and certainly not, and hopefully not focus so much attention on the final presentation which seem to be prevalent in Every, every student of the 12 that, that we kind of surveyed um, in this really short, small scale project. And I think really the, the world today is really ready to acknowledge, if it hasn't done so before, to, to really acknowledge the kind of artistry of design, not just the science of design. Um, but are we, I guess, as design educators and design researchers, are we ready and willing to, to let go? This kind of adherence to rigid methods. And I would say that, yeah, learning to do so, learning to let go of this adherence to these methods we've perhaps used in the past is one of the key challenges that, that we face as educators, researchers and practitioners. Thank you.